My role this evening is to talk to you about team and teamwork. Team and teamwork. And I thought perhaps by way of introduction for those of us that have not yet met uh, each other, let me tell you a little of our story, uh, perhaps just to give some context to what I'll be speaking about this evening. So Colette and I have been part of three eldership teams over the years. We led a church called Sassity Church in Margate for 11 years uh, after being part of the eldership team for just nine months. And then we uh, handed over in Margate and we joined the eldership team uh, at Cornerstone Church in Johannesburg for two years. And then about, eight, about 10 years ago, uh, Mark and Daphne Cowie invited us to come and to take over the leadership of uh, Grace Cove Church in Pretoria. And so that means that uh, <laughs> the second time we led a church, we had almost three times as much eldership experience as the first time around. And so over the years, we've been part of various types of eldership team makeup. Uh, we've been part of teams where we've, where we've been the only uh, church paid people and the rest of the team is, is entirely marketplace, comes with its own uh, challenges. We've also been part of teams that are entirely church paid uh, and that also comes with privileges but also challenges. We've been part of teams of two, of three, of four and even 13. And in Margate, uh, the church went through some struggles at a, at, a, at a stage and we went from an eldership team of three to just me being the only elder in the church for nine months. And uh, then when we came to Grace Cove, we were the only resident elders for the first five years of being here before we could add to the team and bring new elders through. And let me just say quickly as a side note, in each of those uh, occasions where we were the only resident elder in the church, we made a point of drawing very close with the NCMI team and asking specific team members to co-elder with us so that we were not leading alone. We also leaned heavily on the deacon team, asking many of them to rise up and, and really play out of their socks to, to help us lead this church together. Because like Genesis says, it's not good for a man to be alone. He should find a wife. But equally, it's not good to lead alone. And so because we partner with the NCMI team, we do have that, uh, that grace of having a team. But we chose to choose specific team members to help us lead in the local church. Those guys got close to our church and would know the people intimately. When I phoned to have a discussion where we talk regularly, they would know the people we're talking about, not just some advisory board out there. And so now during lockdown, we've been preparing the next crop of leaders at Grace Cove. And we can't wait till we can lay hands again to bring the new elders onto our team. And so then I've really wrestled with telling you my personal story because I don't want this to be about me. It's so easy for the preacher to get swept away uh, at the glory days of, of the past. But the reason that I have decided to just take you down memory lane is to help free us from an idea that there is some kind of spiritual corporate ladder that needs to be climbed so that we can attain certain extra spiritual offices in the local church it's to help us to understand that we see we serve at our master's pleasure and he can position us wherever he wants us to serve him it's to show that jesus can call us to vastly different contexts and seasons and whether we feel overwhelmed or feel out of place or not he can he can cause us to thrive when we follow his call wherever he may lead 
You know, one of the questions that we were asked over and over again, especially during all of those seasons of changes from Margate to, to Joburg to Pretoria, people would say to me, Craig, you, you've led a team. Now, how can you go to be part of a team? Uh, how are you going to do that? In fact, a few men even said to me, Craig, I don't know if I could do that. I've got used to leading the team. I don't know if I could become a team member again. And my goodness, when I hear that, my heart goes cold. Because if anything, our journey has made us more convinced of the role and the blessing and the importance on, of team and teamwork in the local church. It's the Bible way. It's the example we see in the Godhead. And so our, ex our conviction is that if you can't, if you're not able to follow, then for goodness sakes, you shouldn't be anywhere near a leadership role. Uh, I'm convinced of that. If we can't lead, if we can't follow, we shouldn't lead. You know, Jesus in Mark chapter 8, he commends what we know as the faithful centurion, right? Remember, the man said, you don't have to come to my house to heal, to say the word. And Jesus says, I've never seen such faith. But you know, I think the faithful centurion's uh, 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 secret is that he understood the role of team. Because the information he gives us, he says, I am a man of authority and I'm also a man who submits to others. And so he knew how to lead a team, but he also knew how to play on a team. And it's interesting that the faithful centurion is mentioned in each of the three synoptic gospels. Three times we read it, right? Do you think God wants us to catch a hold of this? Friend, can I say, even when you're the leader of the team, there'll be times when you're the support cost and someone else is up front, right? Embrace teamwork and team leadership this evening, I'm asking. And so the dictionary says that team means to harness together, to match or to coordinate. A team player is someone who works well as a member of a group and is not just concerned of his own glory. You've seen sports players like that, right? Sometimes they score the goal or, 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 or win the runs, but often because they, they won't pass the ball, they end up losing the point, right? A teammate is willing to put himself subservient to the success of the team. Team spirit is a willingness to act as, an, as a member of a group rather than as an individual. Your solo is less important than the team's success. Teamwork is the unselfish cooperative work by a group acting as a unit. I want to say in the early days of a church plant or even a transition, when you don't have too many people to pick from, it's so tempting just to grab anyone with a pulse, anyone that turns up two Sundays in a row, you're thinking, man, this is the guy that I'm going to hand this church over to in time. We've got to be careful. We, 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 we're tempted to grab a musician who's, who's skilled at music but struggles with smoking. We, 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 we want to bring that person who's got great people skills but has different doctrine to us. Or what about the person that has all the resources we need, the money and the whatever else? They're the person that can provide, but at the same time, they want to bring control. We need to be careful that we choose poorly, especially in the early days when we haven't had time to raise a team. Be slow, the Bible says, to lay hands, right? I want to ask you this evening, if you're going to be planting a church or transitioning a church, be patient. It's far better to take a little longer and, and build a strong team than to act too hastily and have to undo some of the choices that you made in the early days. Someone said, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. These days it's so easy to think that team and teamwork is elementary. You know, even in the corporate world, we speak instead of bosses, we speak about team leaders now. It sounds so great. The culture could be the same though, right? And so this evening I want to ask you, 
Will you commit to building in team? Will you commit to contending for team? Even when it feels like you're going slower, even when you're sure you could do it better on your own, even when it seems that the pressures of leading a ministry cause you just to make decisions and, and take the action rather than slowing down and gathering a team around you. I'm asking, will you choose partnership with others over walking alone? Will you be an example of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Will you choose to build in team? So this evening, let's have a look at five biblical examples of team and what team offers us. The first is in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Let me read it. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution from Acts chapter 8, uh, when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Then we have some of them, note plural, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, in other words, Greeks, Greek-speaking men, they begin, they go to Antioch and preach to the Greeks, telling them the good news of the Lord Jesus. Verse 21 says, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Man, this is the dream right there, isn't it, if you're a planter? Am, am I right? Man, you go and you preach, and stuff happens, and, and the, the team has to send help to help bring the church into, into flourish, into maturity. And in verse 23, it says, When Barnabas arrived there, he saw the grace, uh, what the grace of God has done. He was glad, and he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Wow, that sounds like success in anyone's book, right? But Barnabas puts a pause. It's so interesting. Verse 25, he says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at, at Antioch. <laughs> As a church planner, this sounds like the greatest thing. Everything's going well, man. Your preaching is good. People are getting saved. The, the, the thing is happening. And in the middle of that, Barnabas is mature enough to realize there is no future in doing it alone. So he goes to find a teammate. That's why, as quickly as we can, we should build team. You see, because team brings support. First of all, team brings support. Team brings support. And uh, if you read in the next chapter in our Lead Elders and Planting ma Manual, you'll see the different base churches that we read about in the New Testament. And Antioch goes on to become a great base church. It's multicultural, multi-gifted. It's a sending base. It's... It, evidences team ministry at home and re reproduces and sends team elsewhere it's a great church and i wonder if barnabas had just stayed on his own if it ever would have become this church that we see it became how about the church that you will lead will it do the same team brings support number one number two team brings success in exodus chapter 17 i'm sure you've read it when the, the amalekites attack the israelites and uh, Joshua goes to, as the general of the army, to fight. Moses goes up on the hill to pray. Aaron and her gather around and lift his arms. I'm sure you've been a in a prayer meeting where you've done that. And I'll just say to you that if you're a member of a team, I trust in your personal devotional life, you are praying and lifting your leader's arms up. I believe the way we serve on a team <laughs> determines a lot about the way others will serve on a team that we lead in the future. And so we have Moses doing his thing, praying. We have Aaron and her supporting. Uh, I think uh, we have uh, 
Joshua on the ground. We have the people at home, the, the mothers and the, the, the children praying, I'm, I'm sure. And so you could say, well, who won the battle? But that's the wrong question, isn't it? The nation triumphed when everyone played their part. You see, team brings support, number one. Number two, team brings success. Number three, team strengthens again in, in Exodus chapter 18 this time. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law. It's always hard to hear truth from your father-in-law, isn't it? He comes and he says to Moses, what you're doing is not good. He says, you're doing it alone. You're trying to handle everyone's problems and you're going to wear yourself and everyone else out. He says to, to Moses, here's the, here's the secret. Bring 70 and make a team and allow them to handle some of the issues and you handle some of the bigger issues. And you see, because team strengthens, he says to Moses, then you will be able to stand the strain. Friends, it's true. There is pressure in leadership, I'm sure you know. And when you're out there planting or transitioning and, and it feels like you're alone, there's a great pressure in leadership if we're doing what God hasn't anointed us for. The best thing we can do is bring a team around us, even if you have to work co-eldering with the, with, with the translocal team or having people out there praying for you. Do it together because team will strengthen the fourth thing is that team satisfies. This is an interesting one. You see, Jethro goes on to tell Moses in verse 23, you will be able to stand the strain. You'll be strengthened. But it says, then all these people will go home satisfied. You know, when people link to a pastor in a local church, so this is the pastor that helped me, and, and there's a bond that forms, right? But as the team grows, they may be expected to also be ministered to by other pastors, correct? Or other deacons or other life group leaders. And sometimes the, 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 the making space in their hearts becomes difficult. But the point is that the Bible shows us that when we embrace team, people go home satisfied. It's good for the church for us to hand over responsibility and build in team. The fifth one finally is that team sends. I want to say to you, I remember years ago, Jerry, Jesse Mason at 72 stood up in the Australian Equip and he was preaching, I'm, I'm an absolute hero, I, I, I want to be like that when I'm 72. And he said, in the old days, there were some of us that were sent and some of us just went. I want to ask you, church planner, transitioner, will you commit to not going until you are sent by a team? Don't just go because you're fed up or because you're uh, ambitious. Go because you're sent by a team. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends the 72, two by two, in team. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, when it's, where, where they were worshiping and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart. It was in the context of team of translocal ministers, uh, ministering with the elders and the people, praying together. Friends, the Bible is clear that team is the way God wants to build. Will you commit to building in team? So then how do we choose our team? Number two, how do we choose our team? We know we need one, but how do we choose one? Well, Jesus gives us a beautiful example in Mark chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority, and to drive out demons. When we choose a team, it is the leader's prerogative to choose those who he wants. But make sure that those that you choose also want to be with you. There's nothing worse. A team is under great threat. When you call a meeting, when you say, hey guys, let's hang together, or we're going to meet as a deacon team or an eldership team, and all of a sudden you get those 
SMSs coming back. They're never a phone call. They're always just an SMS, right? Oh, sorry, that night I'm washing my hair or I'm online shopping or, you know, it's my favorite program. They're just excuses because they don't actually want to be together. When we choose a team, be careful who we choose, right? So who do we begin with, particularly in the beginning stages? Well, begin with those that God has given you. It's always easy to think, oh, if only I had an elder like that or a worship leader like in that church or if only we were in a better part of town or if only, if only, if only. Trust God to send you the right people for the right season. Begin with those He's given you. Don't overlook the ones that you have. So how do we choose a team? Begin with those God has given you. Secondly, begin with those you believe in, those that you have faith for, those who you can see a future for. Begin with those you believe in. Thirdly, begin with those you want to be with. And you don't want to dread coming to elders' meetings or dread discussing stuff at deacons' meetings because you couldn't really feel like being there. Choose those that you want to be with and make sure, number four, that they want to be with you. They shouldn't be looking over their shoulders somewhere else, looking for other options. And finally, give small opportunities. For people to serve and then watch their fruit if they have fruit in their lives then you can bring them into the team and give them room to serve a number of years ago dudley daniel spoke about five degrees of sonship and it's always stuck with me and i must say this is possibly the, the greatest framework that i use when i'm identifying potential people we can invest in to see them coming onto our teams in the local church he said there's five kinds of people that you can bring into a team first are those that are sons and a son is someone that's personally invested and shares in our inheritance. Uh, I'm not saying that you're now the father and everyone is your son. No, I'm saying that these people are part of the DNA of the family. They have skin in the game. There's a sense of ownership. They carry a personal concern for the sheep for themselves, not just as a task to do. They're people that don't speak about the church of you and yours. You know, the church said this or they have asked me. Rather, they speak about us and ours. We, the church, are doing this. They're invested. They've embraced the family DNA. Those are the real guys that you want and girls that you want part of your team. So we have those that are like sons in the house that we can bring on to team. The second type of person is someone that's a servant. and They love God. They have a great heart. They've got a great gifting and, a, and possibly even called by God. But they struggle to accept the leader's role in their lives and so in the business world we'd call them contract workers they're there for a specific season to get a specific remuneration do a specific job you see it's possible that you work well together but their allegiance is more to the task than to the team and so they're working at their ministry they're not working at the benefit or the inheritance that we as a church will gain together and so when their ministry is affected, for example, when that ministry comes to an end, you find they'll probably look for opportunity elsewhere to go and do the same ministry rather than uh, pivoting and reinventing themselves and serving in the local church. Think it through. When I can't sing my solo anymore, will I still be as committed to the church that I'm part of? The third type of person Dudley spoke about is those that are sames. In other words, they struggle to accept a supporting role. They feel that the leader and them are pretty much equal. I remember when we first transitioned in Margate, I had a friend very close to me. Fortunately, later he came and served on, uh, served on our eldership team with us. But when it was announced that I was the one to transition the church, he 
told me later that he had to go to God and repent because in his heart something rose up and he said, hey, if it can be Craig, why can't it be me? What's so great about him that I can't do? And he had to go before God and work this through. And the beautiful thing is he did and we could then work on team together. But a same sees no great uh, anointing for someone else to lead them. Numbers chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron fall into the same trap. They say, has God spoken only through Moses? You see, someone who's the same misses the privilege of serving on team and expects to be highlighted for every little thing they do as though they're doing the team a favor. The fourth type of person is a superior. They think they could always do better and man, they let you know it. Oh man, thanks for that great preach. You know, you could have used this, uh, this illustration to, to make a better point. Or, or thanks for that, but it was a bit long today. Or thanks for that, but man, I would have done this. And they're always letting you know that they think they're a little better than you. The dangerous thing is that they can speak publicly about how they would do things differently. And there's a subtle sense of humoring your decisions, but actually they think they've got a better way. A superior is a very dangerous person on your team. And finally, the fifth type of person that Dudley spoke about was someone that sees himself as a successor. And you see, that type of person sees this current assignment simply as a stepping stone. They're waiting for bigger and better things. They're always angling for promotion. <laughs> they think more of leading than serving. And they're always looking to take over from you. Man, if I were leading this team rather than you, then this church would take off. It's in their language, in their body language, and what they say to the sheep. You know, if you're part of a team, can I caution you? I'm sure you preach well and you'll have... People in the congregation, maybe some dear granny come to you and say, oh, that was the best preach I've heard all year, young man. Careful that doesn't get in your heart. It's so easy for the devil to capitalize and say, yes, I should be preaching more often. Why am I not preaching more often? Man, I should look for an opportunity where I can be the preacher. Careful, it's in our hearts. Never become a successor. Always be humble. Like I said in the, in earlier on, I said, always be willing to be sent from the context of team rather than make it happen yourself. So who do we choose to, put, to bring into our teams? Find people that are sons, that own the family. Not people that are just serving the work. Not people that think they're the same as you. Or thinking they're superior to you. Or thinking that they're your successor. The third point that I want to make this evening, and, and as I bring this to a close, is, is how do we build multicultural teams? Man, in South Africa, we've had our history right, but man, there's such hope on the horizon, isn't there? More and more churches, we're starting to see more diversity. We're starting to see uh, honoring of gifts that don't look alike. Isn't that beautiful? Now I want to say it will come only if we pay attention. And it seems sometimes that our, our politicians in this country want to pull us apart. But can I say the, 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 the gospel to all nations should be reflected in our local congregations as well. So how do we get that right? Tyron Daniel loves to quote uh, Isaiah 41.19 where God says he'll put the acacia and the, the juniper and the myrtle and the olive, all these different trees together in the wrong place and he will cause them to flourish so that people look at this and say, wow, that must be the Lord. I wonder if your church is like that or the church that's in your heart that you long to plant or be a part of planting. I wonder if God could do that with you. <laughs> You see, when it's not working out there, but in the church it's working uh, and there's peace and joy, people have to notice, wow, this is special. Something supernatural is happening here. 
So I think every church is cross-cultural, marrying someone else who even grew up in the same town as you. You find quickly how different you and your wife are, right? You and your spouse. How do we build cross-cultural teams, multi-generational, multicultural teams? Well, first of all, I think we must celebrate our differences. Rather than looking down on the areas of lack in someone else, surely I should be celebrating the things that they're better at than me. At Grace Club, it's very clear who the dancers are and who, the, uh, who can dance and who can't dance. And let me just say quietly, it's not me, right? We need to celebrate our differences knowing that God has added value to us. You see, how many birds wish that they could swim like a fish? It would be ludicrous. And how many fish wish they could fly like a bird? Rather let God put the different strengths together from different backgrounds and cause us to celebrate our differences. Secondly, I think we need to delight in our diversity. There should be laughter when we realize we're different and we say things differently and we express things differently. We should be able to appreciate that we might have different efforts, but we have the same goal. We have the same values. We want to serve the same Jesus. We want to see the gospel go and people to get born again. We want the same things. We might do it differently, but make room in your team for us to do it differently, yet in unity and collaboration. Celebrate our differences. Delight in diversity. Number three is build relationally. You see, when our relationships on team get strained, we start very quickly to pick out the problems in each other. It happens in a marriage. It happens in a team. But when our relationships are strong, man, we overlook those little things. We might even laugh at them. Oh, there we go with that same long-winded story again. Oh, isn't he? It's so funny. Man, when, I, when I'm close with my teammates, I can overlook the differences. We build relationally, spend time, devote time, invest time. We're getting to know each other, our lives, and sharing what we do together. Build friends, then let us work together. Number four is we pursue forgiveness. If you want to build with people not like you, phew, how often doesn't your spouse need to forgive you? <laughs> right? On a team, there's lots of room for us to hurt each other because we open our hearts to each other. We, we, we risk things together. We put our lives on the line together. There's lots of opportunity to cause offense. Choose to be unoffendable. Work through the issues. Talk and dialogue and understand each other so that we can build relationally. Jesus left everything because he loved us so much. He was different to us, but he loved us so much he gave his life for us. When we are close to each other, we lay our lives down easily for each other. Finally, surrender our baggage. You know, the truth is that we've all learned to do church, probably from other people. And when we insist on our style and our way and whatever that might mean in your context, we run the risk of missing out on what God wants to do. You know, there's a reason that God has added someone like that into your life. And there's a reason that God has brought some of those and some of these. And when we live together, there's this great uh, flourishing and glory of God can be represented if you're going to plant don't overlook those not like you the, the diverse gifts let's recognize raise and release every gift that god brings us build teams that aren't just microcosms of the same if we want to reach out to our nation and the nations of the world then we will need to build diverse multicultural multi-gifted multi-generational teams I want to ask you tonight again. It's so easy to think 
Team and teamwork, man, that's really elementary. But I want to ask you to commit yourself again to building in team. To commit yourself to contending for team. Even when it feels like it's slower, more frustrating, that you could do it better. Will you commit to honoring Jesus and looking like the Father and the, the Son and the Holy Spirit and being an example of team? Friends, for those of you that will plant and those of you that are going to transition, I want to say that we believe in you and that we are praying for you. And your success is our success. And together in our partnerships, we can see the gospel go all over the world to the nations of the world. I want to say we back you and we're praying for you. We look forward to hearing of your exploits and the great things that God will do through you. God bless you as you prepare for your next season.